It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying their products. Hey everyone, it's your host Edward Ford and welcome to the Growth Hub Podcast, the show about all things B2B SaaS marketing. This podcast is brought to you by Advanced B2B, the growth marketing agency that helps B2B SaaS businesses generate sustainable revenue growth through marketing. So if you're looking for an agency partner who will help you get measurable results from your marketing, then check out advancedb2b.com for more info. Now joining us today on the show is Nick Harley, VP of Growth at Raygun. And today we're talking about how Raygun bootstrapped their way to becoming a multi-million dollar SaaS business all the way from New Zealand. Now, we often hear from folks at large Silicon Valley or European SaaS companies with big amounts of VC money behind them, but that's not the case for most SaaS companies. So in today's episode, we caught up with Nick, who leads a small marketing team of four people at Raygun, an application monitoring SaaS company. Nick discusses the challenges of working from a remote location like Wellington, New Zealand, how they make every penny count by measuring marketing performance with attribution models, LTV to CAC ratios, and their team's North Star metric. He speaks about their current team setup, whether you should hire generalists or specialists, and some of the challenges of marketing to technical audiences. Nick also shares some of his most important marketing lessons from bootstrapping Raygun into a multi-million dollar SaaS business. So let's get to it with episode 63 of the Growth of Podcast with Nick Harley, VP of Growth at Raygun. Welcome to another episode of the Growth of Podcast, and it's my pleasure to welcome Nick Harley to the show, who is VP of Growth at Raygun. So Nick, thank you so much for joining us today here on the Growth of Podcast. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have you on the show, and we're actually making Growth of Podcast history today, as you're not just the first ever guest from New Zealand, but from the Southern Hemisphere, so you're repping half the globe here. Uh, no pressure. And today we're talking about how you bootstrapped your way to become a multi-million dollar SaaS business without spending huge amounts of money on marketing along the way in a fairly remote location. So I think to kick things off, what are some of the challenges when you're building a SaaS company in a place like New Zealand? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, th- there's many answers, but I think the things that kind of stand out to me would be that we don't have the depth of talent maybe that uh, other other places and locations have. And I don't mean that uh, with any disrespect to anybody who's from New Zealand or, or the Southern Hemisphere here, but I think our development capability in software engineers and software developers and that more technical uh, role is is quite, quite good. Um, I think we can compete quite globally. We can compete globally with uh, anyone in the world in that respect, but we kind of lack people that have been there and done it before to scale global huge uh, software companies. We have the odd success story, but we don't really have yet the the depth of people that have been there, seen it, done it, and can then kind of give that back to the community um, and having a lower population just generally puts you at a slight disadvantage. There's just not so many people around. So that, I mean, that's been a challenge to find the talent locally uh, for growth, uh, but we, we have managed to do so uh, to date, uh, but it's always been a, a slight challenge. Um, another thing is definitely cost because 
uh, we we sell a lot into the US. And if we wanted to do conferences or events and we've had to fly people over, you can imagine taking a team from New Zealand and flying them all over to uh, events in say Florida and reinvent in Las Vegas is, is hugely more expensive than if you were over in the local market. Um, and probably the, the other third one I'd probably add in there is just the, the time zone support. Um, we have to do many calls at uh, early hours or late at night. And there's been many situations where we've had customer calls that we've got up at like two, 3 a.m. and then they don't, they don't turn up for the call. And then you have to kind of, you can't say to the customer, you know, uh, why didn't you turn up for this call? You just have to say, that's okay. I'll just get on again and uh, try it again the next night. Um, and we've flown people over to the US for important meetings and then flown them straight back. And certainly there's there's many advantages to being down here in New Zealand, but going to market globally, you are quite far away from people. So that's probably been uh, the three major things that I've seen in my time. Yeah, I can imagine. And uh, yeah, a 2 a.m. no-show must be must be pretty brutal, I have to say. And well, luckily it's not 2 a.m. right now. And I think another challenge, and I think many SaaS marketers have this issue, but what are some of the difficulties when marketing to developers or technical audiences like you do at Reagan? Because they generally don't like to be marketed to. Uh, correct. And this this is always the joke I have with people and when, they, when they certainly join our marketing uh, team or I'm trying to... Uh, Recruiters, I don't think it's any any harder. Like I think the technical audience is one of the harder ones to market to, and everything that you do outside of that feels easier because they use ad blockers, they use script blockers, they don't want to be tracked. Um, they just generally don't like marketing messages, and I think the way to counteract that um, with technical people is to move your marketing more to helping them succeed. So a lot of uh, how-to guides, how to help them with their job, how to give them some value. Uh, we do a lot of technical content that uh, is educational. Um, and that, that's kind of worked the best for us, I think, uh, traditionally advertising uh, to people for your service was um, basically you put some advertising out there and interested people would fall in the funnel. But developers and technical people rely a lot on the word of mouth of their friends and colleagues for what they should be using and they jump on the latest trends um, in the in the market so I think a lot of our marketing has had to kind of shape around the way that technical people and developers consume content and marketing but it doesn't mean that it's impossible to to get them and to make them interested in your product but it is I would say one of the harder audiences to market to yeah I think that was a super good point about just making sure you help people, help them succeed, help them do their job better, whether you're marketing to technical audiences or not. I think that's a great philosophy to have when it comes to your marketing. And I think a lot of marketers won't have deep knowledge or subject matter expertise in these technical areas. So how do you work effectively with stakeholders who actually have that knowledge that you can use in your marketing? Yeah, well, initially when you're hiring people it's very hard to find technical people or ex-developers that want to become marketers so you have to really kind of empower your marketing team to become more technical and understand uh, the products and the concepts and so our team members 
when they join and we have to teach them, have to go through some level of learning the product. But I found the better way to teach people is to provide them the concepts. Um, I think when we're working with our product teams and our development teams, they have the tendency to kind of talk in technical language to people that don't understand the base concepts of uh, programming languages and technical uh, information. So the way we've done it previously is me or somebody else on the team will give them the high level base concepts and explain things in a very simple format using kind of real world examples. But then once they've got that knowledge, they'll work with product and developers to kind of extend their knowledge beyond that because once they've learned the initial concepts picking up the rest of it seems to be much easier and when we're doing things in practice we work very closely with our product team and our development team uh, to kind of collaborate together we're not in silos you know we will collaborate on on content documents have marketing do most of the work and then get it reviewed um, and that seems to have worked quite well for us. Yeah, really good points. And when you're bootstrapping like you are at Raygun, you need to be even more careful with what you spend. So how do you measure effectiveness of your marketing and use things like CAC to LTV ratios to guide you on what you should be doing? Yeah, I would always advise people to just start as simple as possible. Don't do anything complex initially. Uh, just do the, the simplest format and version uh, initially and then you you're going to struggle to do um, industry metrics like CAC and LTV until you have enough data so once you maybe a year or 18 months in you start to get a bit more of a picture um, across those types of metrics and we didn't really measure it uh, as much as we do now in the early days because we were still working things out and we were still experimenting an awful lot but now we um calculate our ltv and our cac and we watch that on a monthly basis and i think one of the mistakes a lot of marketers make is that they throw uh, a lot of the the costs in there on a promotional spend basis but you really need all your costs in there such as your salaries um the tools you use. Uh, you can also say um, Salesforce is one of those costs, but it's kind of shared across the organization. You can maybe have a, a percentage allocation of the Salesforce subscription that's put into your CAC. Um, and just kind of uh, watch that as much as, as you can to kind of inform you just how much risk you can take. Um, but initially, I think starting a lot more simply really kind of was a good move for us because we didn't need to be that sophisticated until we had a good level of data to actually play with to say what's actually real here. Yeah, I think super good points. And following from this, another part of knowing what to do is attributing revenue to your marketing channels and activities. So how do you approach attribution at Raygun? Um, I'd, I'd say in, in some respects, I'm quite controversial in that I don't really like attribution. Um, I've, I feel like it's a real pain for marketers because they have to almost 
um, take their intuition and then try and put some data around it when it's extremely hard to get a clear picture. And people will talk about their fancy kind of their first touch, last touch, multi-touch weighted attribution models. Um, but at the end of the day that I, I'm yet to find any marketer who's kind of shown me a really good solid report based on the data to say, if we do these three channels or these five channels in this order, we will get more of these customers because by the time you've actually collected that data and you have to have a lot of data to, you know, maybe, maybe when you're a much larger company, you have a bigger data set and you can understand some of these trends in a bit more granular detail. But by the time you've kind of figured out maybe three or four touch points that, that do contribute, the, the market changes, like the, the tactics you use changes. I mean, even this year, like events could have been one of your big channels, but that's now completely changed uh, on us. So I think the way we've approached it is half of it is using the marketing team's intuition. And we've had situations before where we thought, is this channel working or not? And the only way we've really known is to turn it off and then see if it has an effect and then turn it back on again. because attribution so hard these days because there are in the technical audience people using script blockers um ad blockers and things like that and you only get attribution generally with the digital channels that people click um so i think we i would say in the answer to your question is we try to get as much data as possible and we do look at the data and we're very data conscious and very data driven but we don't use all the data to make final decisions. We use it to inform our actions to know what's kind of working, but we don't kind of have a, an attribution model that we use all the time and, and point to for all of these touch points, because I just think you're missing 50% of the data these days anyway, and marketers um, need to use creativity and intuition to really inform their decisions. Yeah. Attribution is definitely not easy. So, how do you actually know when things are working or not with your marketing? Yeah. So the way we think about it is um, you have to, you have to track what you can. So we use UTM codes across everything as, as most standard marketing teams would do. Um, and then we also have uh, Looker, which we use as our kind of data house, data warehouse. And we tie that into our, our products. So, if somebody comes in through a certain channel, uh, we can use uh, our, our looker and our, and our tracking to attach a campaign as the main source of attributing somebody when they sign up for say a free trial or they contact sales. And then we take that, that touch point data and then attach a um, contact to a Salesforce campaign. So we use Salesforce across the entire business and we, use the Salesforce campaigns module to then attach a campaign to a contact and then we can track the revenue throughout the funnel. So I might sign up for a free trial, but did they turn into a customer? Um, how much did they spend over time? And once we have a campaign attributed to a customer, then we can do all sorts of reports based on that. Um, so it's about kind of, putting in the mechanisms to try and track the channels. And then once you have a channel attached to somebody when they sign up for your product or service, then you can do all sorts of uh, stuff on a per channel basis. 
and then you can work out your CAC and your LTV on a per channel basis. Um, that's easier said than done. Um, but it's it's definitely been uh, useful over time as you're collecting that data to kind of see the trends at the other end for you might have a channel that you feel is really successful but unless you tie it into what people spend and how much revenue you get from that channel um it could just be a vanity metric of you getting trials but no customers if that's making sense yeah absolutely and i think it's great to hear how you do tracking and reporting so following from things like CAC and attribution, what's actually the main number that your marketing team owns? Yeah, it's been, it's been free trials for, for a long time. So we, we have a 14 day free trial and that's been our kind of main number to drive um, over the years. And the kind of the, the thing with marketing is it's never finished, right? Like if, if you work at a company that is a SaaS product, it's always, okay, we had a good month this month, but what about next month? What about the next one? And so free trials has been, always been our one that we've watched to um, measure effectiveness. But I think it's also important to have a, a uh, attention metric in there as well. And for us, that is what we call activated trials. So when you, people sign up to our application monitoring product, um, they might create a free trial, but they're never going to pay us and become a customer unless they've actually integrated our product into theirs and sent some data to us because that's where they get the value. So unless they do that step, it's pretty unlikely that they're actually going to become a customer because they haven't actually seen the product at that point. Um, and we have an activation rate. So if say we get 10 trials in and five of them activate, then we have a 50% activation rate and we've, historically seen that the quality of our trial signups can fluctuate based on the marketing activity that we do. So if we have a poor channel, which drives more poorer quality trials, our activation rate will go down. So we can't just have like loads and loads of free trials, but they're poor quality. And then the activation rate's really low. So we, we're constantly with this tension metric of we can't fill the funnel with rubbish. We have to fill it with quality. And so then we measure our channels based on volume of trials, but also the quality of trials as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think really important not just to have a quantitative number, but also a qualitative aspect. So looking at activated trials, I think the term PQL, a product qualified lead, is something else that, that SaaS teams might use. So uh, I think a really good point and something many SaaS teams might be struggling with. And... So if we follow on from this, what are you actually focusing on now when it comes to marketing activities and channels? So where are you getting the biggest bang for your buck? Uh, def definitely, I feel at the moment we have a focus on uh, content marketing because that's been pretty core uh, for our business over the years anyway. And that's how technical audiences tend to to find out about your, your product or service. Um, and I'm a big fan of marketing activities that compound over time. So I don't really like it when our, our team go after things like newsletter sponsorships um, or PPC, although we have to do all of these things, like but we wouldn't want to spend an awful lot of money doing them because they're kind of one-time hits. If somebody clicks it or a newsletter goes out, um, that campaign kind of, dies within a week 
with content and SEO um, and also like video content and any, any type of form that, that you know, stays persistent over time. Like if you write some content today, somebody could also read it two years later. Like we try and have our, our tactics to build like layers of cake as we kind of refer to them in our marketing team is you want to keep adding layers to the cake and not taking them away. So we might have a poor performing channel that we might switch out with another. But the idea is to just compound these layers over time. And that for me has been has been our content marketing over time has has led to us having quite a um, steady influx of, of trials and customers based off content that we've had sitting around for a long time. And if we just keep doing more of it, then we can get more, more visitors um, more trials and um, more people finding out about our products and the beauty of that once you have that is it's it's hard for people to um, take that down it's hard for competitors to just come in and take those customers away because it's it's hard work uh, to actually build that that funnel and um, but also it doesn't cost you month on month on month to keep the trials and the customers increasing because you have this kind of layered system of content and videos and events um, that just kind of works for you over time and another thing that we've had success with is our tech leaders series which did get slightly disrupted uh, this year but uh, these were in-person small panel events which were relatively low cost to do uh, but we, we basically got like a panel of people from uh, successful companies together to talk about software monitoring in our, in our space. And they've been really good to get people along not on the, on the day, but they also give us content. They've been very successful as, for us and we've done them in the US uh, as well as New Zealand. And we've started them up again here in New Zealand um, recently just doing one in Auckland so um, we might move them online as well so uh, that could be another thing but I'm, I'm very much focused on content right now because I think that's where you get the best bang for buck. Yeah absolutely and I really like that philosophy you have and hearing how your team thinks about marketing so let's actually talk a bit more about your team specifically so what, what's your current marketing team set up right now? Yeah, so we, we have three in our marketing team and they're all uh, generalists, so to speak. So they all have individual competence skills and other stuff that they prefer maybe not to do, but we don't have enough people to maybe take those away yet. Um, and I think the way we, that I've always hired the team is like if you, if you imagine a, a sheet of paper and you draw a big plus sign, so horizontally and vertically, um, when, I, when I'm working with the team, I try and get them to do this exercise where in the, in the top left segment, we put things they enjoy doing and they're good at. In the top right, it might be things they enjoy doing that they don't feel they're that, that good at, uh, which we can train them on. And then bottom left might be things that they don't like doing, but they feel they are good at. And then the bottom right is things they don't like doing and they don't feel they're good at. And then once you've got that in place, you can you can pretty much say, okay, the stuff that you don't like doing, you're not good at, that's who I need to hire. And then the other stuff, we need to either provide some training for you um, or we need to get you spending more time doing these things and teaching the rest of the team members. 
So we've tried to fill the, the team with people that um, are hungry to kind of learn all disciplines of marketing. So they all do a bit of everything. Um, but we've got uh, Freya who's mainly leading our content efforts. Uh, Andre's very good at uh, setting up podcasts and events and, and media like video. And then Jamie's um, come into our team uh, last year and he's very good at uh, the data side and, and pay-per-click and, and product marketing. So they do a bit of everything and that, that's kind of the idea. Yeah, that's really good to hear the breakdown of the team. And you mentioned that your team has generalists and I think this question can split opinion, but when you're building out your marketing team, is it better to have generalists or specialists on the board early? And why did you tend towards the generalist route? We actually had this, this conversation uh, a few weeks ago, with one of our, one of our team, they asked the, the exact question. And uh, I have always thought that generalists are the best way to go. Um, because I think as a manager, you, you can, you can be quite selfish and say, well, what do we need for our company? And people need to reach the goals for, for the business, which is absolutely true. But you're also kind of responsible for people's careers as well. Like, you know, what are they going to do after they don't work for you anymore? And so I think if you're a specialist in something and you really enjoy it, and that's what you want to do as your career, you should absolutely do it. But for the vast majority of people, variety makes it exciting. And if you do have variety in your role, that gives you 10 times as many options for you to go and expand your career doing something else. If you've only ever done SEO, your, your job market um, aspirations pretty much going to be SEO roles and you're going to get kind of stuck there. So I think if you're more of a generalist, it doesn't really matter whether uh, a role comes up in PPC or SEO or general marketing manager or, or whatever, you've, you've got far more career ambitions and I don't want to restrict my team to just having specialization. One, because we're not big enough uh, yet and we might get more specialized over time. But two, I just think um, it, it's better for people's careers if they have a go at everything, see what they like doing, they might gravitate more to written content. They might gravitate more to data, but you're not going to work that out unless you um, actually have people trying all sorts of the marketing uh, activities. Yeah, that's really good to hear. And I think as well, there could be a risk that if you hire a specialist for a specific channel or tactic, and then that somehow dries up or doesn't work, then you also have a bit of a challenging situation uh, particularly early on when you're starting out and bootstrapping and aren't exactly sure what will work within your space. So I think really good to hear your philosophy on that. And I think finally, before we move over to our closing questions, what are some of the biggest mistakes you've made, lessons that you've learned over the years bootstrapping Raygun? Oh, there, there's so many. I mean, uh, part of part of growing a company and, and a business is is to work out what doesn't work so you can focus on what what does work so um my my advice for people is that don't be scared of the failure like if i if i go into my ceo's office and say look here's 10 things these five didn't work they're not doing those anymore but we do we are doing these other five that's far far more valuable than me um just not trying or or saying everything's great so I think the, the main mistakes is there was a time when we relied a bit too much on data 
Um, we're, we're a very technical company. Like there, were, there was a lot of people in the business that were technical at that time. And when we were approaching our marketing, we, we had the opinion that we should just remove anything that we couldn't see a clear ROI on. And that was a mistake because when, like we were saying earlier with the attribution is when, when you do that, it doesn't give you a full picture. So it could be that you are actually doing the right things, but you're not seeing it in your data because that traffic's coming in as direct traffic or organic traffic as people kind of Google your name and things. And so I think we got so fixated on like proving every single um, dollar uh, on return that we probably made a move that we we restricted our budget a little too much and the numbers kind of suffered for that. Uh, so that was a lesson. And then on the flip side, I think we've, we've relied not enough on the data at times. And there's been times where we should have looked at it um, a little more and gone a bit deeper. Um, so yeah, yeah, kind of works both ways on that one. Um, and I think as a bootstrap New Zealand company, um, we've also been a, a bit guilty of being not ambitious enough at times or willing to take a big risk or, or bet. I think um, it's, up to, it's up to individuals and there's no right or wrong answer whether you should take VC funding or you should bootstrap. But I think if you do have VC funding, it, it, can, it can help mitigate some of that risk. So people tend to be a bit bolder in their bets because there is a bit more of a safety net there. And when you're bootstrapping, every every dollar counts, right? So I think there, there have been times where we, you know, we maybe should have doubled down a bit earlier or uh, took a bit more of a risk. Um, but I, def I definitely think the lesson is that you should expect to have more failures than wins because if you're not, then you're probably not pushing hard enough. Yeah, super good points and great to hear a bit about uh, the learnings over the years. I'm sure just a few of many over time. But uh, Nick, I think this was super good and we could now move to our closing questions and our Fast Five Challenge. So to wrap things up, I will ask you five questions and all you need to do is answer as quickly as possible. So are you ready? I am. I'll do my best. All right, great. First question, what is the one book you would recommend others to read? I'm gonna I'm gonna probably go with Radical Candor um, because it was definitely something I I struggled with um, becoming more of a manager of of not quite knowing how to approach certain situations and that book uh, really really helped with the you can be direct but not mean and and that was quite a good kind of management lesson of of kind of approaching things of going yeah you have to be direct you have to get things done but you don't have to be um a dick about it and yeah that would be my pick yeah great book recommendation second question a SaaS company you love and why um i wouldn't say i necessarily love love the product but i, I really love the, the story of drift um and, and the way that they built their brand i think it's really admirable to uh, a lot of SaaS companies and learned a lot of kind of lessons out of the way they, the way they kind of went about it. Um, I personally don't um, find those kind of chatbots that that useful, but um, I really admire the way they went about that. I think it was really well executed. Yeah, definitely. Third question: favorite place to read about marketing online? 
Um, I, I love Sasta, to be honest. Um, follow Jason Lampkin and all, all his content and the amount of times that uh, situations have come about and Jason has a post on Sesta for that exact thing um, is quite scary. So that's that's always a, a very good content resource and, and we have the whole team uh, looking at that that content. Yeah, definitely. Fourth question, most important growth metric? The most important growth metric, um, well, I think I think we touched on it earlier in, in measuring net CAC to LTV ratio because if you're losing more money than you're making, then you, you don't have a business and you you have to watch watch that over time because um it, it's fine maybe in the early days in the growth phases to have um quite a high cac but um yeah unless you unless you're actually making money when all this shakes out at the other end you can't afford to lose money over and over again month on month on month unless you're maybe deeply into the vc model which most of us aren't um, <laughs> So yeah, uh, making sure your your business is healthy on that CAC to LTV ratio um, is quite a, a key growth metric to to be watching. Because yeah. it also it also informs how much risk you're going to be willing to take. Because if your if your ratio is fairly good, then you should probably double down and and have a bit more more spend in there. Yeah, absolutely. And then the fifth and final question: What would be your best piece of advice for fellow marketers? Um, I am completely self-taught. I have no credible um, degrees or education. I, I got started completely self-taught. And I think the advice of marketers is that it is, a, and it, is, it is an industry where you can go and just do it. You can get stuck in, you can have a go. You don't need that experience. You can Google pretty much everything for an answer. Um, so I think my main advice is just don't, don't kind of, uh, get too caught up on, am I good enough? Should I apply for a role? Like you can do it. Like sky's the limit. Like you can, you can self teach yourself a lot in digital marketing and you shouldn't be scared of it. You should just go online, find, find some of the uh, content on the subject. Um, try it, market with your friends and family. If you haven't, um, found your way into the industry yet to build some experience, you know, do the local karate club, whatever. Um, yeah, just, just don't stop trying really. Cause that, that's what I've done is just, just got stuck in and done it. And that's how I've built my career. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what it's all about. And Nick, I have to say this was awesome. And thank you so much for being the first ever guest from the Southern hemisphere here on the growth of podcast. Thank you for having me. I hope I'm the first of many from down these parts. That was Nick Harley on how Raygun bootstrapped their way to becoming a multi-million dollar SaaS business all the way from New Zealand. Now, before I go, I just want to say a big thank you for listening to the show. And I want to give a shout out to Mark Colgan, who left a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. They said, Edward is amazing at interviewing key guests in the B2B marketing space and teasing out the valuable knowledge they have to share. I especially enjoyed the interview with Stefan Hiddebrand, full of great insights. So thank you so much. And if you want to shout out, leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And maybe I'll be reading your message out next time. 
And as ever, you're always welcome to reach out to me on Twitter at Nordic Edward or connect on LinkedIn. So thank you so much for listening to the Growthful Podcast brought to you by growth marketing agency, Advanced B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off and make sure you check out advancedb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are Biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different.